0: Hello, and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I'm your host, along with my beautiful wife, Janet, and our producer, Lindsay, and we are streaming from the Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy Studio today, and we are going to be talking about uh, breast cancer and breast reconstruction. We have Dr. Irina
1: Karanitz? Yes. <laughs>
0: yes, Karenets, on today, and mm-hmm. she... Uh, actually, her uh, was fellowship trained in breast reconstruction, and that's kind of the direction she's headed. So she is very, very knowledgeable and an expert in this subject. And um, without further ado, I, Dr. Karenitz, I just wanted to um, let you introduce yourself, and we can start talking about this topic.
1: Yes. Uh, thank you, Sean, and thank you uh, for having me here uh, on this podcast. Um, and uh, just a little bit about me. Um, I did my plastic surgery training in New York, uh, and then following that, I I, I did additional fellowship training specializing in in breast reconstruction as well as cosmetic breast procedures. So um, I'm definitely passionate about uh, working with women, women with breast cancer patients. So when uh, Sean reached out about discussing this broad topic, um, of course, I jumped on it, and it's my pleasure to, uh, to be here and just to help uh, our listeners understand a little more what is breast reconstruction and what are some of the options that patients may have following a mastectomy or, or breast cancer surgery.
0: Awesome. Well, I'm excited to, uh, have you on. I know this is a very, very popular topic. Um, we work with a, a lot of patients in the category where the most common age of breast cancer, I'm assuming is probably postmenopausal. Is that, um, correct?
1: Correct. Yes. So, uh... Breast cancer is the second most common cancer in women. About one in eight women will be diagnosed with breast cancer in their lifetime. Uh, mostly, yes, uh, post-monopausal in terms of the age group. So it's definitely um, breast cancer screening, breast cancer um, treatment, and uh, and then maintenance following breast breast cancer reconstruction, that's all those all are very broad and important topics. Uh, And one more quick thing I wanted to point out that uh, I am just one of the pieces of a puzzle in terms of taking care of breast cancer patients. So whenever we treat patients diagnosed with breast cancer, it's never just the plastic surgeon, there is the breast surgeon who performs the surgery, there is the oncologist uh, and who can help decide whether the patient needs chemotherapy. There is radiation oncologists that can help with radiation treatment. Uh, there is. Uh, there are many social workers and physical therapists who help patients kind of navigate this system. they are called breast cancer navigators because it's a lot and it's overwhelming. Um, so again, I'm just one of the uh, many specialists involved in this uh, holistic approach to, to, to treatment of breast cancer and breast reconstruction and it's truly a multi-specialty and multidisciplinary teamwork. To from the beginning, from the diagnosis till till the patient uh, is has completed all the treatment.
0: Absolutely. Thanks for clearing that up. It's definitely a multidisciplinary team um, approach for sure. So Janet, do you have any questions for her?
2: Well, before we get started, um, since we've had the pandemic, um, my concern for women is that we've skipped some screenings. So are you seeing that in your practice that we've kind of let go of, of early detection? Um, should we be advising women to start ramping up and, and going back in and having their exams done? And what is your take on that?
1: Yes, uh, I mean, definitely pandemic has affected um, patient care initially when a lot of Uh, elective surgeries were placed on hold and patients were hesitant and scared to go to the office, to go to the hospital uh, during the worst of the pandemic in spring, especially uh, you know, my practice that I'm part of, uh, York plastic surgical group, um, we stayed open throughout the pandemic. So um, a lot of hospitals prioritized taking care of the cancer patients. So there were ways that our healthcare system tried to navigate the, the pandemic so that we don't neglect patients who have advanced cancers, even though our hospitals were so overwhelmed with COVID patients. So Uh, I think, uh, and and again, the more we became familiar with the virus and the pandemic, the more precautions were in place so that patients, you know, get screened, uh, the medical offices or screening facilities have their own protocols in place so that patients can have the proper follow-up and proper care. So I think uh, where we're at now, uh, Janet, that Again, we're at a good place that everything's kind of feasible just with new guidelines, uh, new, new precautions, safety precautions. But um, I think in general, uh, our healthcare, I mean, we, I think we did well as, as physicians trying to make sure that patients with, with cancers uh, got proper care.
2: That's good to hear. So I guess relaying to our viewers, you know, if you are putting off your screenings, call and make your appointment, because I think early detection would be optimal versus uh, not. So don't, don't put yourself on the back burner. Make those appointments.
1: Absolutely. Yep. The screening, um, and, and, you know, for a lot of women over 40, it's good to have uh, a breast health breast doctor that they follow up with so that there is somebody following along for their, uh, routine breast screening.
0: So you're the, are you one of the, talking about a a multi-disciplinary multidisciplinary team. So, um, a breast surgeon comes in before you come into the picture, whether it be a lumpectomy or whether it be a mastectomy, is that correct?
1: Correct. Yes. So typically, um, what happens that let's say a woman uh, uh, in her let's say early fifties she she has her re- routine mammogram annual like Janet said because that's what the, the guidelines are, and something comes up on that mammogram that's concerning so then that primary doctor or maybe it's OBGYN, or she already has a breast doctor um, gets that result. And then that usually triggers two things uh, in terms of the reporting of breast findings on mammogram or ultrasound. Uh, There is a grading uh, and uh, it's called BI-REDS categories. And it just tells us as doctors, uh, the radiologists tell us how concerned they are about what they see on that image or on that mammogram. So then that triggers then either nothing or a mammogram in a year. If it's non-concerning or if there is some question, then that can trigger a biopsy. And biopsy is something that sometimes radiologists do, sometimes the breast surgeons do, where they'll remove a little bit of tissue, and then that establishes the diagnosis. So then once we have the actual diag you know, from imaging to from screening to imaging to diagnosis, now that's where surgeons come in. And first, of course, is the breast surgeon. Who then uh, sees the patient and um, has a discussion about options, and again, the whether they're candidate for lumpectomy, which is removing just part of a tumor uh, where the tumor is located, or mastectomy, which is removing the whole breast, Um, and and then afterwards, then the patient sees a plastic surgeon. To discuss what then what are they then my options uh, following the the surgical removal of breast cancer. All
0: right, so let's go ahead if you don't mind. Um, we'll go ahead and get into your uh, presentation. Is that okay?
1: Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, so,
0: t- t- explain. Well, you were you going to say something? Go ahead.
1: Yes, no, so I, I was just going to say this presentation, I just tried to, to put a, a few slides together to, again, hopefully for our listeners to to follow along, because it, it, it is a lot, and I try to keep it simple. But again, now that, let's say we're... Um, we have the diagnosis that the patient has breast cancer and now the pre- the breast surgeon uh, then decides whether and discusses with the patients their options for mastectomy, which is on the left and it's removing all the breast tissue versus lumpectomy, which is just removing a small uh, amount of tissue around the tumor. And lum- lumpectomy is often followed by radiation therapy afterwards. Um, another important thing, that for us as plastic surgeons is whether after removing the breast tissue, what happens to the skin? Sometimes the nipple is removed as well. Sometimes nipple is preserved. That's been a newer invention, uh, or not invention, uh, development in, um, in, in terms of mastectomies, that there are some indications where we can preserve the nipple, preserve the skin, and just remove all the breast tissue underneath. And I like, I like to tell my patients when I explain that uh, it's like uh, removing the pillow from the pillowcase, where the mastectomy, you remove that pillow, and now me as a plastic surgeon, I'm left with a pillowcase which is empty. And now it's my job to uh, discuss with them what are our options to to fill in that pillowcase, to give them a breast mount, to give them a breast that they can go out and wear clothes and feel normal and whole and feel like a woman. Um, so again, a lot of uh, what I can do depends on, on what the breast surgeon decides in terms of oncologic treatment for the patient. Um, and, uh, and and again, preserving the nipple usually gives the best cosmetic result, but not all the candidates, and uh, not all the patients are candidates for it.
0: I love the pillow pillowcase analogy. That's a great <laughs> analogy. <laughs> so let let's go ahead and move on to the next slide, uh, Lindsay.
1: Yes. So then, now that we're we're back to my to our pillow pillow pillowcase analogy, and uh, in terms of recreating that breast shape and breast mound, there are two ways. And a lot of uh, patients and people are familiar with implants, which are uh, typically silicone or or saline breast implants, or um, or using your own tissues, which are a little more advanced procedures that we do, uh, and these are called flap procedures. So so kind of, um, again, during uh, what I would like to, for patients to, or, or mm-hmm. listeners and patients to understand that those are the two ways we can go about it. It's either we use an implant, um, usually it's uh, at least two stages, because first we often put in an expander, which is a temporary implant, and then we switch to an actual Permanent implant or using your own tissue, which most commonly it's using. um, Everyone has a little bit of tissue, especially after having children (laughs) below the belly button, so we can recruit that tissue to reconstruct the breast. And obviously, uh, some some patients who are very fit, they may not have the tissue for for us as plastic surgeons to take to transplant to the breast. So then we're kind of limited to using the implants, but. Uh, for those patients that have extra tissue, um, it, it it can feel more natural because it is your own tissue versus the implant.
0: So kind of a bonus, a thinner weight and bigger breasts.
1: Exactly. Yeah, so <laughs> it is. And now that we're, you know, we as plastic surgeons, of course, Besides reconstruction, we were always trained to optimize the results. So, when we do this type of reconstruction, we we follow the principles that we do in our cosmetic breast surgery and in our tummy tuck surgery. And again, this has been all an Evolution. I'll, I'll talk a little bit about these uh, complex, uh, these are microsurgeries surgeries, um, and and like everything in in medicine, as as as, it, as the techniques evolve and we all get better, the results of course get better. So um, so so flap procedures uh, are definitely free flap procedures is something uh, with the, that has been evol- has been evolving and becoming more popular.
0: Awesome. So, is is there ever an issue of rejection of an implant? So, would there be a reason? So, would there be a bigger reason to go with your own tissue if you could?
1: Yeah. So that's a great question, and uh, a lot of patients ask the same question. So, it's not that the body rejects an implant because implants are. Safe, uh, but like any procedure that we do, there could be complications. So you may have an issue with an implant where, let's say, the wound doesn't heal, and then that implant gets exposed because it is a foreign body that we're putting in in that thin pillowcase right so um, it's very sensitive skin after mastectomy Um, so sometimes things don't heal well sometimes you get an infection and then you may lose that implant so it's not so much that your body rejects it but it's just that um, combining the mastectomy and reconstruction and we do it all at the same time it just stresses the the skin and the tissues uh, a lot a lot more. Um, and then in terms of um using your own tissues, uh Along the concept, like you said, with rejections, again, it's your tissue, so your body won't reject it. Uh, however, when we transplant the tissue and we connect uh, the small arteries and veins for the tissue to live, sometimes uh, there could be a problem with, uh, I guess, the the pipes. We can call it that way, with artery and vein, where they can clot, and then the blood flow doesn't get to the tissues, and you can lose the flap. So. Again, it's, it's not that your body is rejecting, but for us as surgeons, those are some of the potential complications. And of course, we discuss that with patients because no surgery is without the complications. So um, again, we're getting, we're, we're very good at breast reconstruction uh, currently, um, but it's an important discussion that I, I have with patients as well.
0: So I believe we have a slide about this flap you're discussing, correct? Yes. Yeah. Is it the next slide
1: uh, we have a little oh. I think maybe a few more okay um, let's talk so we can talk
0: the, about the implants first
1: yes, yeah, we so already can, did a little bit exactly so um again uh, traditionally uh, you know when we talk about implants everybody thinks about silicone implants and something important that i want to point out that you know both the saline and silicone implant they the shell is made of silicone so even though some patients may say oh i want a saline implant which that's pretty much sterile salt water that's what saline is it's a it's a water filled implant versus silicone it's a little more cohesive so it maintains the breast shape better but either way the shell is made of silicone as material and then in the next slide sometimes the the texturing varies where on the left you can see is more kind of form stable implant and it's got the rough surface so that's textured surface uh versus the one on the right it 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 looks smooth because it's non-textured. So, so those are the 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 types of implants that that we that we typically use.
0: Okay, is the next one the flap or okay? Let's uh, oh yeah, let's talk about the procedure under the muscle or above.
1: Yeah. So, um, and so again, we'll we'll, we'll go back to, to the pillow and pillowcase analogy. So that's just talking about the skin. Um, and when you put in the, the, usually the expander, which is the temporary implant, um, there are two ways where we can put it and it all depends on, on how the skin is after the mastectomy portion. Uh, sometimes if that, if that's, uh, skin envelope is in very good shape um, then we can put an implant right underneath which is the expander Um, and uh, sometimes we have to put it under the muscle so that's kind of the decision again uh, that we make often uh, during the surgery um, and it's something that I definitely discuss with patients So I I like this diagram and it's actually uh, from one of my former uh, attendings and training that um, all the way on the right, you can see that the red tissue, the muscle. So you can imagine it just protects that implant more, right? Because now you have skin, the muscle, and then the implant. So if you were to have one of those wound healing issues that happen occasionally, you just have a little more protection for that foreign body, which is the implant, versus the one in the middle where it's right underneath the skin. So uh, that's, again, those are the two ways where we can put during reconstruction the implant, whether we put it uh, above or below the muscle.
0: That's a good visual. Thank you for providing that. Um, Janet, do you have any questions?
2: No, it's really explained well. So uh, yeah, I like the visual as well.
1: And then I think in the next slide, um, I, I I had to mention this product, and I have no disclosures, but <laughs> this is another um, support material that we use during reconstruction with implants. Um, and again, I, I like the visual on the right because it just shows you how the muscle, the way our chest muscle is, um, it, it only covers the upper portion of the implant. So then the lower portion doesn't get much support. So sometimes we would u- we use this product. Uh, it's a skin substitute product um, to support that implant and the weight of the implant. Um, and that's again been uh, more so used over the past decade in breast reconstruction.
0: So I have a, go ahead, Janet.
1: Well, I
2: the question I would have is, this would be something you did after you did stretching with um, the tissue, right? You would put your insert, stretch the tissue and then support it with this or do you do it before?
1: So that's a good question. So usually um, that middle picture that you see where it has that white extra tissue and muscle on top, um, that would be at the same time as as we're at the same time after the mastectomy that the goal would be, to put that temporary implant, make sure it's as, as well covered as possible. Because again, this is underneath the skin. So you have skin, then you would have the muscle and then the implant underneath and maybe a sling of this um, uh, tissue, skin substitute.
0: That makes sense. So I should have asked this a little bit earlier, but let's talk a little bit about reconstruction after lumpectomy. So. Does every woman that has, I know it's a strong word, every, but do most women that have a lumpectomy, do they need reconstruction or do they, do they um, choose to have reconstruction?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So maybe if you go back to that slide um, where it said mastectomy, uh, all the way at the beginning, yeah. So you can imagine if it's, um, uh, if it's somebody, let's say if it's a woman who has large breasts, and a small tumor, taking out a small amount of tissue won't change her breast shape much. However, if you have a woman with smaller breasts and you take a big chunk of it, then they will have a deformity. So that's where, um, again, we as plastic surgeons come in for, uh, we call it oncoplastic reconstruction, where we can move the remaining breast tissue, kind of like origami, uh, to remobilize the tissues to, again, to close that hole, close the defect so that when, um, after removing the tumor, um, it's a smooth contour of the breast, that there is no major depressions. Um, And there are many different techniques that, again, have been developed to to help reconstruct the lumpectomy defects as well. And that doesn't necessarily involve the implant because again, this is just uh, a small amount of tissue that's missing. So we we like to say in plastic surgery, you replace like with like. So when small, you know, you replace uh, with the breast tissue nearby and you kind of mobilize it and move it into the, into the defect. So we talked about implants and uh, lumpectium reconstruction. And then again, reconstruction using your own tissues um, is traditionally you would use skin and fat that's attached to the muscle, kind of like in the picture on the left where you see the back muscle, it's latissimus, and then you see the muscle and then there is skin and, and, uh, fatty tissue from the back that's used to replace the, the breast or the same was used, um, from the, from the abdomen. So, so the drawback of this, um, operation, uh, uh, one of the drawbacks is that you take the muscle right and muscles are functional so whenever you take muscle from one part there may be some deficit or weakness um like an operation on the left that can affect uh, arm movement um and the the surgery on the right where you take one of the your abs erectus muscles that can affect your core strength and and cause weakness of the abdomen um so so then the invention uh, of microsurgery uh, came in um, where rather than take the muscle, we're able to transplant the tissue, which is skin and fat from different parts of the body on its blood supply, then connect it to the blood vessels in the chest, uh, an artery and vein to reestablish the blood flow and that way you get living tissue that's trans- it's your own living tissue that's transplanted from where, like you said, where you have extra tissue like your lower belly or let's say it can be your inner thighs. Um, again, all with principles of cosmetic surgery where the scars are well hidden. If it's the belly, it's it's like a tummy tuck incision. If it's in the inner thigh tissue we take, it's more of a thigh left incision, but it still allows us to take this uh, tissue, skin, and fat, which is very similar to breast, which feels like fat too. Um, and then using either microscope or special magnifying loops, we, we connect these two millimeter blood vessels and, and that way we transplant the tissue and you get reconstruction with your own tissue. So that's called free flap uh, breast reconstruction versus muscle flap uh, that I mentioned earlier that traditionally you didn't do the microsurgery, you just kind of rely on the blood supply that goes through the muscle and then to skin and fat.
0: Wow, that's a super cool procedure. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that, you, I mean, two millimeter using a microscope and yes. uh, wow, I mean, that's, uh, you gotta have some pretty steady hands, I suppose.
1: Yes, study <laughs> helps ha- help, and, and that goes back to um, the fellowship discussion that we mentioned earlier, because uh, as you can imagine, this is specialized surgery, not all the medical centers, not um, all the hospitals uh, have capabilities for this advanced surgery. And also as a surgeon, uh, you wanna have extra training so that you can safely uh, and efficiently do these procedures and offer those to your patients. So that's why I did that extra year of training to again, make sure um, that um, I'm proficient in those operations as well. so, So that I can help my patients who are good candidates for this operation. So if you go to the next slide there we go. He said the errors. Yeah, that's those. are. I just <laughs> thought it would be fun to add the, the picture with the magnifying glasses. So we either use a big microscope to sew in those little blood vessels or uh, use these magnifying glasses that I have on and special headlight to do the same microsurgical procedure. And on the right, um, I I like the diagram just because it shows the areas, like I mentioned, where you may have that extra tissue, extra roll of tissue that uh, we can harvest on its blood supply and and end up with uh, minimal scarring while being able to reconstruct the breast. Um, And again, it could be from the back. It could be from the tummy. It can be from the buttocks region. It could be from inner thigh region. So those are most commonly, it's typically from the uh, abdomen, from lower abdomen. And then that's the deep flap procedure. And in deep is just a fancy, a long-term for <laughs> deep inferior epigastric perforator flap. But I think the easiest, and I, I, again, I think I love this diagram because it shows exactly the purpose of the operation where you take that skin and fat that's you know, extra hanging skin. And then uh, using special microsurgical techniques, you, you you separate it on its blood supply, which is that uh, artery and vein going down. And then when you cut it, uh, as you can see in the right upper corner, it's it's now it's dead tissue. So the only way to make it living tissue is that you got to reconnect those two pipes, those two little <laughs> two, three millimeter pipes to so that the blood flow starts flowing um, and that's the microsurgical part uh, of the procedure. So after we take that tissue from the belly, the belly, uh, the lower abdomen is closed in a tummy tuck fashion. And then we bring this tissue um, that feels like breast to the chest to reconstruct the breast. Uh, and I think in the next slide, and, and the most, I th- And uh, this is very important because as you can see, we're not taking the muscle, right? So that's the difference. We Take skin and fat on its blood supply and then we transplant it into the chest. So that preserves that muscle strength um, and improves outcomes. Um, And then we connect it to, to the chest vessels, again to the tiny artery and vein in the chest and then it becomes living tissue Um, and, and that's a a short version of a, of a deep flap or a free flap from the abdomen procedure.
0: That's really cool. Thank you for sharing that with us. Janet, do you have any comments or questions?
1: Well, I think that
2: looks amazing. I helped women for many years with, um, prosthesis and, and that, that to me, the, um, being able to use your own tissue is just, a uh, incredible, uh, Advancement in the, I think that is just amazing. So I guess a comment, not
1: a yeah, question. Right.
2: I, I love the, I love the seeing the outcome of that. You know, after seeing several women over the years, mm-hmm. you know, you know, you can see the advancements that have happened. So that's that's awesome.
1: Yeah, it's a, uh, it's wonderful that we can offer that to patients now too. And again, it's definitely a bigger, more tedious operation, as you can imagine. Sure. Yeah requires a team approach and a medical center where we can do it but it's not um now that it has become routine it's not such a big endeavor as it used to be 10 years ago so again these are all advancements and I'm I'm glad I could share some some of these things uh with you guys today
0: yeah thank you for sharing those and your expertise I, our listeners and viewers really appreciate it so um As we're wrapping up, uh, what is Dr. Karanetz? What is your passion? What, what, what drives you?
1: Uh, what drives me, uh, at the end of the day, it's happy patients. And, um, to me, no, no matter how, how many hours I work a week or, uh, I've done over 16 years now to get to the point where I'm at. But, um, when uh, I see a happy patient uh, whose life I had helped transform and then they come in to me and uh, come to see me for follow-up and they are more confident and they're glowing and for me to be part of their journey to to know that I was their surgeon that they chose me uh, whether it's for elective surgery or for reconstructive surgery uh, or if I get to meet their significant others when they come for follow-up it's um, it's very special and meaningful and uh, it's an extremely fulfilling but very demanding job and I don't think you could do any of these long operations or do all of these things if you're not truly passionate about it, that passionate about taking care of patients, passionate about doing the right thing. And again, whether it's cosmetic or reconstructive surgeries, it, it can be truly life-changing for patients um, on, on many levels. And um, it's a privilege for me to be part of these patients' journeys.
0: Well, that's awesome. So how do people find out more about you? What's the easiest way to get a hold of you?
1: Yeah, so that's it. It's pretty easy these days. Um, um, Even on Google, you can always type my name, Irina Karen, it will take you to my website, uh, where you could see some of the procedures that I do some of my before and after results. Um, So uh, we can definitely, uh, I can definitely share that with you. But uh, and again, I, I think right now, especially with pandemic, something amazing that came out of it um is um <laughs> yes if you pull it <laughs> up um is virtual uh telemedicine right. and vir- virtual consultations um so i think if you just uh go to uh maybe meet the doctors and you'll see uh shown my name there mm-hmm. uh, and again the virtual consultations um there she is. Uh, are helping uh, patients answer questions or if they've had something on their mind. Um, it's an easy way to connect with me as a surgeon. And again, whether it's cosmetic or reconstructive, it's easy to schedule an online virtual appointment, as you can tell, or call the office. And I'll, I'll gladly uh, be there to answer any questions that patients may have during awesome.
0: Awesome. Well, we appreciate you being on today and sharing all your knowledge and expertise. And as always, thank you for listening to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Tune in Thursday for Dr. Garnita. She's going to be talking about autoimmune disease and how it affects our hearts. You don't want to miss that. Uh, Actually, Wednesday. It'll be Wednesday. Sorry about that. Uh, So tune in Wednesday. Check our Facebook, the Mosaic Professional Pharmacy Facebook and YouTube site for more information. As always, thanks for listening to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham.